0: Now today, on our famous last words, we're going to go for the phrase and talk about the phrase where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now evidently, something very special must have been going on. Something of great significance had occurred at this point because the scripture says that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Literally translated, he, he screamed these words he he wanted everybody to hear it and what was what was going on I mean three men were being crucified three men were being executed one of them named Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world they were all three nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. at noon The Bible just says darkness covered the land. Now, we just experienced this recently uh, with a full solar eclipse. They don't happen that often. But what's really bizarre about this is that it couldn't have been a solar eclipse because it was in a time of a full moon. Now, if you understand how eclipses work, if you've got the sun here and the earth here, An eclipse is when the moon comes between the sun and the earth, and it basically blocks out the sun. But a full moon, the moon is actually over here. That's what makes it full. The sun is fully shining on it, and you get a full moon. So scientifically, it's impossible for there to be an eclipse. If the Bible says darkness covered the land, it must have been something else. Uh It happened, and it lasted for three hours. Again, eclipses, if you know anything about eclipses, they don't last for hours, either not the total dark time. Then at three o'clock, Jesus yells out these words. We find it in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and in Mark fifteen thirty-four. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Part of it is in Aramaic. Part of it is in Hebrew. It's written here in Matthew in Greek. Because part of it was in Aramaic and part of it was in Hebrew, and plus there were so many people around uh, 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 Jesus who were Roman, who, who, who would speak the Greek, maybe they misunderstood what he said because the word for my God, my God, is very similar sounding to the name of Elijah. And so they would think, oh, he's, he's calling Elijah. Now they've been making fun of him for hours now. So this is just another jab. And let's just see if the great prophet Elijah... <laughs> will come and save him. Soon after this, Jesus utters his final words, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. But this quote, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is one of the most difficult to understand of all of the things Jesus said while on the cross. Martin Luther, the great theologian, Charles Spurgeon, the great, Preacher both said, You can't understand it. It's beyond us. And they just gave up and moved on. They would say, How can God abandon God? There are several possibilities offered for what Jesus meant with this statement. Skeptics offer the cry it was a cry of disillusionment that Jesus had finally given up. It's done. He just finally said, Forget it. I'm throwing in the towel. There was a cry of physical and emotional suffering. It just finally got to be too much for him. And he just responded in emotions. Some feel like maybe it's a, it was a cry of the fulfillment of prophecy. We'll get in a moment here uh, while we talk about the prophecy. And then I think probably the most popular one is the cry of reality. Which means that, uh, you know, Jesus really was... Forsaken by God. Maybe it's a little bit of them all, except for number one. I don't think Jesus ever gave up, okay? Don't ever think he said, Yeah, I was wrong the whole time. I don't think he ever went there. And maybe some of all of the others. See, the cry of reality when, when, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, God forsook him. And that dark black moment on the cross god turned his back god the father turned his back on god the son the word forsaken is very strong it means abandoned deserted we always sometimes we'll use the phrase god forsaken country you know there is no god here that's what the word basically means <laughs> it ain't texas no on the other hand there's parts of texas that you yeah, know you're probably right So, when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me, it wasn't just that emotionally he felt forsaken, maybe he really, really was forsaken. Literally, God the Father, abandoning his own son. Now this brings up the question, why would God do such a thing? Something must have happened. Why would God abandon his son, who his whole life had done nothing but obey him. Nothing but serve him. Something maybe had happened to Jesus. Now we know on the cross he was sacrificed for our sins. Your sin, my sin. He died for our sins. The Bible says he became sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, it's an interesting verse and if you look at it in the original lang- language it's it's very repetitive. It was he who was not sin was sin, basically. But how it's translated here, as we go on, it says in verse 18, all this is from God, and he's talking about the, the reconciliation of man, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the whole world uh, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Other translations put verse 21 this way. In the different versions, you always look at things in different versions. The the easy-to-read version, I like that one. Uh, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in in Christ we could be right with God. The the God's Word, that's kind of an arrogant name to call your translation, but they called it God's Word translation. It said, God had Christ, who was sinless, take our sin so that we might receive God's approval. The message version says God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that he could so that we could be put right with God. The prophet Isaiah put it like this in chapter 53. And he did this hundreds of years before it actually happened. In verses 5 and 6, the prophet Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned in our own way, but the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So let's, rem- let's, let's imagine something for a moment. Let's just imagine this big, massive, massive, Bowl, pot, if you will. A big container, a cesspool of sin. And all the sin in all of the world that's ever been committed is in this big pot, churning around. It's deep. It's dark. It's foul. All the evil deeds that have ever been done are in here. You know, all the lust that the world has ever seen is in there. All the lies are in there, all the immorality, all the impurity, all the anger, the murder, the theft, the adultery, the, the drunkenness, the lack of forgiveness, the gluttony, all the crime, the cursing, and, and all of the things that's ever been done are in there. And they all got poured out on Jesus. All of our sins were laid on Him so some believe that for that reason and only for that reason that God the Father would ever forsake his son. But Jesus knew this was coming. One time I was studying the Bible with this fellow in Boston and we read this and, we ta- and I talked about this, you know, Jesus, this was at the point where God turned his back on his son because of all the sin and Jesus is saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes, why did he ask that? He knew it was going to happen, Right? This should not have been a surprise to him. And it caught me off guard because I'd never considered that. He did know it was going to happen. He expected it to happen. He knew that going in. In John 12, when he's talking about it, you know, being betrayed and dying, he says in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, you know, this is bothering me, he says, but what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then it says, A voice from heaven came down and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and they said it would thunder. Others said it was an angel that spoke to him. But Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now, that's an interesting statement because Jesus said, I didn't need God to tell me this. I know this already. I am confident of this. Verse 31, he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death He was going to die. He knew what was coming. He knew it was going to be a cross. He knew it was going to be a torturous death. It wasn't one of those, okay, I'm going to sacrifice. I really don't know how it's all going to work out. We'll just have to see how it plays out. He knew what was going to happen. He knew it. He understood it. He embraced it. And to me, that's actually more powerful. To me, that's more moving. If you look again at this verse, back in the Corinthians verse, the 2 Corinthians 5, when it says all this is from God who is reconciling us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. You see, there's two parts in this verse. There's not just God made him who had, who had no sin to be sin, but there's the second part, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin in order that I can be reconciled to God. Now, this has two implications. Number one, never minimize the cost of your sin. Never minimize. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. Sometimes we laugh at sin. We say, it isn't that bad. It's only a little white lie, right? It's not one of the biggies. But it was for my sin that Jesus did die on the cross. It was because of my sin that he said, shall I say, God, save me from this hour? No, it's for this hour that I came. That hour that I can be reconciled to God, that I can be considered the righteousness of God. My sin, all of them, the big ones, the little ones, don't ever minimize the cost. And never minimize the cost, not just of the sin, but the salvation that I can have because of Jesus' death. Is it possible that some of us are tired of hearing about the cross? Well, we say no, but man, I hear so little talk sometimes about the cross. We'd rather hear about happy things and being better and being fulfilling my potential. Being the best me I can be reminds me a little bit of my my father's side of the family. Um, you know, they're family, and so you've got to love family, right? But they were some miserable people. I just got to tell you, they were not happy folk, except on Christmas. Everybody was happy on Christmas. We all pretended to be happy. We all pretend because that's what you do on Christmas. For that two hours that we saw each other a year Everybody pretend, but why? Because, well, we don't want to talk about sad things. We don't want to talk about serious things. Let's, make it, let's talk about good things, happy things. Sometimes we do that, we, we don't talk about the cross. Why? Because that's a sad thing. It's sad what Jesus had to do. It's sad because it reminds me of my sin. It's sad because I have to realize that my sin caused that. I don't want to talk about that. I know people won't even watch the movie The Passion. I can't even watch. I don't want to watch it. Because it reminds us, that was me that caused that. All this is true, and all this is right. Jesus died for our sins. The sins of the world were on him. He made him who had no sin to be sin. He offered himself as a sacrifice, paying the price for sin. Wages of sin is death. He died for us. But I'm still not convinced that that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It still doesn't make sense to me that God abandoned Jesus. There's several reasons why I don't think this. Number one is, Jesus refers to God as my God. He never did that when he was just talking to God for himself. He always said, Father. Matter of fact, right after this, he goes right back to Father again. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't think he would have gone from a very impersonal, my God, you've abandoned me, to Father. It just doesn't make sense to me. Number two, Jesus knew the plan. He knew what was happening, what was going to happen. So I don't think he was wondering, oh no, God, where did you go? That doesn't make sense to me. Right after he said this, and sometimes we feel like this might have happened a lot later, but actually, chronologically, pretty much right after this, Jesus died. And he said, it's finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It doesn't make sense to me that he would go from, what's happening, what's going on, to it's finished into your hands. Yeah, I believe the sin of the world was counted on Jesus. I do believe he paid the price for our sins. But God abandoning him, it's a a very linear way of thinking. We think life, suffer, death, burial, resurrection. We think very linear because that's who we are. And certainly it was a physical act and there is that way of thinking about it. But it's also something incredibly spiritual that's going on there that we can't even grab. Because, yeah, the death of Jesus on the cross with for the forgiveness of sins, but it's not just from the forgiveness of sins from that point on. It was forgiveness of all sin. If Adam and Eve were forgiven of their sins, it was because of the blood of Jesus. Well, how can that be? That's In time, that doesn't fit my linear way of thinking. That's because God's not that way. I believe God can say, yes, this is a sacrifice, but I think God was right there with Jesus through the whole thing. Why? What happened? Three hours? I'm going to abandon you for three hours, and then what happens? I'm back. That's enough. Again, it doesn't make sense. We put on this thing of God did that. The Bible actually never says it happened. So what do I think is going on? I believe that Jesus, even in the most agonizing time on the cross, was trying to teach his mother his brothers and sisters, his followers, and us, a very, very important lesson. Even on his death on the cross, he's trying to teach us a very, very important lesson. And that is, God has not and will not abandon you. Now, how can he teach me God will not abandon me when he says, why have you abandoned me? That doesn't sound right. Actually, that phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a quote from an Old Testament passage. It is a quote from one of the the primary prophecy passages about the crucifixion of Christ. It's found in Psalms 22. Let's read it together, the whole thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my eyes of cries of anguish? My God, I I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Some of the very lines the gospels tell us they were saying to Jesus. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melting within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display, people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me, you're my strength. Come quickly and help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one.
1: He has not
0: hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cries for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will return. I'm sorry, will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. When I read that passage and I go, wow. He's crying out. I think Jesus is pointing us to this passage here. I think he's pointing everybody to this passage here. Remember what we talked about. On the cross, you can't say a lot. You can't talk a lot. But I think he's pointing us here to this passage. It says, you know what? Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten about me? God overlooked me. God has forsaken me. Have you ever wondered, God, where have you gone? Maybe it's a time of illness or suffering the loss of someone, a death or a loss of a job. You still got a mortgage and you got the family and the bills, but you don't got the job anymore. Your marriage is is crumbling or is gone. And you're wondering, where is God? Jesus is reminding us, as he did so many times in his life, 49 different times, Jesus, when he was troubled by something, went to Scripture. Went to the Old Testament and said, Look at what the Scripture says. He went for strength. He went for comfort. He went for assurance. Yes, it starts, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob honor him, revere him. All the descendants of Israel, in verse 24 he says, because he hasn't despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cries for help. It didn't change anything. He was still hanging on the cross. He was still mocked and rejected. He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. They divided up his clothes. He's hanging there. Doesn't change belief that doesn't mean God's abandoned me. Just like it doesn't mean, because everything's going wrong right now in life, doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Jesus on the cross is proof to you and me. Proof again that no matter where you are in life, no matter how bad it may look right now, no matter how lost or rejected you might feel, you are not rejected. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. And Jesus is trying to... Guys, it doesn't get any worse than what Jesus was doing. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Hebrews, the Hebrew writer here reminds us of one of God's greatest promises, this one about never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He said it in Deuteronomy. He told Joshua this. It was said in Psalms 118. We just sang that a few moments ago. His love endures forever. He will not abandon us. His love endures forever. Now, these promises in their context, you know, I'll be with you in time. You know, Joshua, go up, fight the army. Don't be afraid. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Hebrew writer here says, don't put confidence in your money. Don't put confidence in yourself. I will be there. And that's much more applicable to you and I right now because we're not going up against armies. But we're still tempted to say, God, I, got, I, gotta, I gotta handle my business, God. I gotta go take care of my bills. I gotta handle my business. Because you ain't helping me. God saying, No, no, no. I haven't abandoned you. Now, guys, this doesn't take anything away from Jesus dying for our sins. He died for our sins. He paid the price for our guilt. But the fact that he stayed true to God. No matter how bad it got, no matter how hard it got, he stayed true to God. He was obedient to the point of death. Rose again, never to die again, went on up into heaven, says, look, I'm going to come for you. That very fact shows us God will not forsake us. God will not abandon us. So don't abandon God. Don't turn your back on Him because He is not going to turn your back His back on you. Jesus knew this. And He took time when it was the darkest. That point, right up to death, He took time to remind us. The question is, do you know it? Do you feel it? Do you trust in it? Do you trust, no matter what, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much I might feel alone, feel abandoned, and we can all feel that from time to time, but no matter how hard it gets, I will stay true. I will stay strong. I will stay faithful. I will be like Jesus on the cross, and I will remember the words God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Jesus is trying to help us to see it. In his darkest hour, he was reminding himself, God hadn't forsaken me, guys. And he's reminding them, don't lose hope. I'm about to die. But even then, it's not over. We'll talk about that next week when Jesus said it's finished.